Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Well, hello there, and once again, here we are for the Loving Liberty broadcast and podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Brian Hyde. It's uh, it's such a crazy time. I, I just I every morning I wake up, I feel like I'm Captain Picard, you know, from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Except you know, my first order of the day is damage report. I want to know what uh, what's going on. What are what are the latest uh, news headlines? And it's tough because there's there's a balance that has to be struck here. And, and humor me on this for just a moment. On the one hand, I really want to know what's going on in my world. And, and part of it, I admit, is morbid curiosity. There is a part of me that's like, okay, how bad can it get? <laughs> or how much worse might it be today? I admit it. I, I don't know why I have that uh, that morbid curiosity, but I do. It's, it's the same thing that, you know, when you're driving past a really severe automobile accident, you can't help but kind of whoo, crane your head and take a look and just see, is it as awful as, as you in, it, anticipated it might be? But... Amazing news coming out, uh, of course, uh, over the weekend. Um, Now, Senator Rand Paul has tested positive for the coronavirus. This means, at least for my home state of Utah, um, we're without representation in the Senate for now because Mitt Romney and uh, also Senator Mike Lee are both in self-quarantine. They apparently have been in contact, as have other members of of, uh, the Senate. Um, uh, uh, Congressman Ben McAdams, who actually represents the district in which I live, he has tested positive for coronavirus. So uh, the, anybody who, who wakes up, you know, this morning with, with the idea that, uh, well, hopefully everything is blown over and life is going back to normal. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen for a long time. And I'm, I'm not trying to be fatalistic about it. I'm just saying there are some harsh realities that we have to face. And uh, we're, we're doing the best we can. I hope, I hope that this, this program finds you well today. I'm going to tell you right now that we're going to focus on some pretty hard truths. And uh, today we're, we're going to be laying bare some stuff. Um, Sam Bushman, one of the hosts on our network and also the host of Liberty Roundtable on the Liberty News Radio Network. Uh, Sam just took the leash off on Saturday and, and just flat out spelled out where he stands. And I applaud him for doing this because it needs to be said. It, this the the time of of simply standing there with our hat in our hand and going well, I think we should probably defer to the politicians and the experts to make these kind of difficult decisions. This is why we elect them as leaders. Um, some of the decisions that are being made are insane and self serving and downright dangerous. Not to, not only from the standpoint of you know more people are going to suffer, more people may actually die, but we're talking about uh, putting a dagger in the heart of our liberties for generations to come if we allow some of these mandates to stand. And I'll explain more about that coming up. I want to share with you a commentary from Paul Rosenberg that I received over the weekend. Uh, one of the most disturbing things about our current descent into economic chaos is the fact that the politicians who are causing it, and, and don't make any mistake, it's not like, well, you know, the economy was just fine until coronavirus came along. No, the economy had issues, and there was an awful lot of living on borrowed money. If you had seen the, the chart showing the growth of, uh, of debt and spending here in the U.S., particularly government spending, you know it wasn't a sustainable thing, at least for the long term. At some point, it was going to stop. 
Okay, the coronavirus may have been a catalyst. It isn't the cause. And what we see happening right now is actually a blind destruction of our economy. And it's being brought about by a bunch of official mandates by people in official positions who are, well, I'll let Paul Rosenberg explain it. They're, they're, they're serving their need for control. Now, he starts off his essay, which is called The Blind Destruction of the Economy, with the old proverb, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And he says, I'm hard pressed to think of a better way to describe the destruction of the U.S. economy and many others over the past few weeks. Rosenberg says it's been a foolish set of reactions, and I'm going to show you both why it happened and why it was unnecessary. But he says, first, however, I should clarify the financial meltdown and the blowing up of the economy are two different things. As many of us have long noted, the leading finance regimes of the world were insanely overblown bubbles. You probably knew that, right? Just waiting for some kind of pin to pop them. This was a virtual economy of fabricated currency units contained within carefully controlled securities markets. Secondly, the real economy of goods, deliveries, repairs, and so on was separated from the virtual economy, and its surplus was skimmed away with paid-for regulations and obligations. So the people in this economy got relatively poorer and poorer. The big corporations treated them as serfs, and their rulers despised, despised them, but at least they were allowed to keep working. Finally, the financial bubble popped, hurting lots of people, both comfortable and poor, but that didn't require the burning down of the real economy. The aforesaid making, growing, repairing, and distributing of everything that really matters to us. So, why they burned it down? And I think his explanation is spot on here. He said, really, it boils down to this. When the poop hits the fan, people revert to their basic psychological premises. And for politicians, for rulers of most any sort, that psychological premise is control. If and when they reach down into their souls, that's what they find. On top of that, he says we should remember that politicians aren't much different than perpetual beauty pageant contestants. So when such people see a parade developing, they run to the front and they grab the parade's attention any way they can. And if the parade has come together <clears throat> mainly out of fear... Well, you get their attention by agreeing with them loudly and being just a little more extreme than they were. Then you present yourself as the solution. Hooray! Now it's my parade. Afterward, when the other beauty contestant pageants or beauty pageant contestants rather up their ante with more fear, more control, you raise yours too. His point here is that politicians react to the other contestants, not to some schlub on Main Street. Complications aside, he says the actual economies of America and much of the world have been shut down because of this. The damage is severe and the fallout may last for a long time. Now, you're going to hear people excuse this by saying they had no choice. And Paul Rosenberg says to those saying the politicians had no choice, I have a very simple response. No, they saw no choice. Now, since almost everyone has been taught to see the world as the ruler sees it, most people saw no choice either. But his point is there were far better choices, choices that didn't burn down economies. And at this point, it's fair to ask, OK, what other choices? Well, Paul Rosenberg says, I suppose we can begin our list of other choices with a respectable adult an actual grown-up standing up day after day, explaining to people the history of epidemics 
the choices we face, the costs of each, and how every person can either save their neighbor or endanger them. We had several weeks after all. But he says this was not done. Sure, politicians acted a little bit like this after the horse was out of the barn. But people need time to assimilate such things. And a one-shot effort doesn't work. Any ruler worth his or her salt would know this. But they didn't. Instead, they reverted to what they did know. More control. Their psychological basis was for war rhetoric, soldier boys, tanks and quasi-tanks, more cops, fines, punishment, jail and c- jail cells. See, to them, everything looked like a nail, and so the real economy was hammered. But even without a respectable adult talking sensibly, most people were intelligent enough to take precautions. By the time the first lockdown orders were given, most Americans were already sheltering in place. And Rosenberg says, I suspect that most other people's were too. So here are a few of the choices that the rulers never considered. How about tell the people they won't be taxed upon, won't even have to report their income from making masks, ventilators, valves, etc. Or tell the people that patents and regulations are suspended for the next year. That they will be held to account for negligence, misrepresentation, and so on, but they needn't get approvals. Or put every bit of data, every proposal, every blueprint and chemical formula online available to the world upon receipt. And he asks, why not? (laughs) Because the people are brute beasts and the ruling class is not? His point is this list could go on at length. But just this much would put millions of intelligent and motivated people to work immediately and at zero cost, fixing the crisis in far more and better ways than command and control processes. And the proof of this, by the way, is that even with none of the above and its significant risk to themselves, some people are still acting independently. And he has a picture here of a homemade ventilator cleverly hacked together from CPAP materials that could save many lives. Things didn't have to go this way. And the price we're paying now is the cost of rulership. Millions of us have already realized that rulership was never as advertised and that other options, while less than perfect, are far less bad than the bloody, arrogant, and exceedingly expensive mess we've had. So you're not a nail. You're a thinking, productive human being. Be clear on the fact you didn't deserve to be hammered and that it wasn't okay because you didn't and it wasn't. This is not the kind of world we deserve, he says, and it's up to us to improve it. We'll be back. This is Loving Liberty. Hey there, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Please hold your phone calls until the next hour. I will open up the phones in the 1 o'clock hour. I actually have a special guest joining me, too, to talk about one of the bright spots that is coming out of this crisis, uh, having to do with the world of telemedicine. I don't know if you've availed yourself of this, but uh, it's it's a pretty good thing, and we're going to be far better prepared for the next coronavirus. I'll explain more coming up in the next hour. I have a special guest joining me from the John Locke Foundation. In the meantime... Let's continue on with uh, some hard truths. And I, I just I feel like I have to put this warning up front. I, I'm going to be sharing some things with you today that, that probably feel uncomfortable. But I'm guessing that if you are a normal person, you're probably pretty far outside the comfort zone right now. 
And so I don't feel like I'm taking a huge risk in, you know, rocking your paradigm, so to speak, by by introducing these ideas. Brandon Smith, who writes for, <clears throat> I believe it's Alt dot or Alt dash market has a very thoughtful commentary, and I think it's one worth considering. But I'm going to tell you right now, the title will get some people to go, ooh, they're going to clutch their chest and start looking for the smelling salts. The title is From Quarantine, from quarantine rather, to Tyranny to Rebellion. Where is the line in the sand? And I don't want to believe this is, this is what's approaching, but look. Look back at our trajectory over the last couple of weeks as a nation. You have to admit, these are the kind of uh, questions that, that need to be asked. Brandon Smith says America is in a haze right now. It seems that half the country's in denial of the danger, while the other half is awakening from apathy and frantically trying to prepare. This creates a fog of confusion as one side screams, it's nothing but the flu. Stop buying up the grocery store. And the other side just keeps stocking goods, though in an inexperienced way that prioritizes comfort over practicality. Now, he says the other day he went by the grocery store to grab a few peripheral items while they still exist on sale. And he said this was the first time the the COVID-19 situation began that people in his area actually seemed different. And what he means by this is the usual carefree obliviousness was gone from their faces. They all had a deer in the headlights look, their eyes wide as saucers as they nervously scrambled around in the store. None of them were absorbed into their cell phones. All of them were alert as many people huddled, huddled over their cart, quickly snatching items from the shelves as if protecting themselves from potential thieves. He said, it seems that reality is finally hitting the masses square in the face like a sucker punch. Suddenly, the prepper movement doesn't look so crazy after all. And average people are now turning to prepper forums and websites to ask us for information on how to plan more effectively. Instead of stacking piles of toilet paper for psychological comfort, they're now buying food supplies. The people who used to accuse us of being chicken littles and doom mongers are eerily silent. In fact, he says, I almost miss them. At the very least, everyone now is concerned about the situation, if not for different reasons. Now, Brandon Smith says this is a far cry from the past two months when governments around the world, as well as the U.N.'s World Health Organization, continually downplayed the pandemic threat and offered the public nothing in terms of usable advice. The establishment consistently kept the public in the dark, not just on the virus and its capabilities, but also on the vast weaknesses in the global economy. Abruptly in the last week, they suggest that a threat is ahead and now millions of people are scrambling to prepare however they can. Now, as he's noted in previous articles, there's a reason why the establishment refused to inform the citizenry of the instabilities inherent in the pandemic scenario. The more unknowns there are for the public, the more panic will set. We'll set it. Uh, chaos ensues, and it's chaos that can be exploited to push forward numerous agendas. And by the way, he says those agendas include global centralization, as well as the erasure of constitutional liberties, something we're going to be talking more about in this hour. Now that a national collapse event is slowly being accepted by many as a legitimate possibility, there's a debate rising as to what measures the government should take or should be allowed to take. He says those of us in the prepper and liberty movements always knew this day was coming, a day when the public would start considering trading away an array of freedoms 
in exchange for promises of security. But even now, government officials are still trying to tell people that this event will be short-lived. Don't worry, they say. It will only last a couple of weeks. Oh, and don't concern yourself with food shortages. That's not going to happen. Now, he says you can look at these lies in two different ways. Number one, the government's trying to stave off a panic by slowly easing people into the reality that the system is breaking. Or number two, the government is trying to keep the people passive to the danger so that when the system breaks completely, they will be unprepared, desperate, and easier to manipulate. Now, Brandon Smith says he believes the second option is the most likely given the evidence at hand. But in either case, the government is crippling the public response time to the disaster. They did this for months and they're still trying to do it now. So he says, my argument is, why should we suddenly take their advice or take orders from them when the manure hits the fan? They have failed in their responsibilities to inform and protect the citizenry. And they're about to violate their prime mandate, which is to protect the personal liberties that make our society worth living in. Without these freedoms, there is no point to keeping our system intact anyway. The establishment and its defenders, he says, will claim that we all have to make sacrifices today in order to have freedoms tomorrow. But that's not how the Constitution was designed to work. Our rights are more important during times of distress and crisis, for it is in these times that we need to know what we're fighting for and what we're struggling for. You see his point here? Survival is meaningless if you have to accept tyranny in order to achieve it. Once governments see a chance to usurp freedoms from the people, they do not bend or tend rather to give those freedoms back later unless the people become a viable opponent that could bring the establishment down. Now, Brandon Smith says there are some who will say that a forced quarantine is necessary to protect the greater good of the greater number. And by the way, he admits it's true that COVID-19 virus is a danger. But he says, I think the people who claim it's no worse than the flu are fighting a losing battle as the death rate is clearly much higher than the average flu virus. And he says they will look extremely foolish a few months from now as the virus continues to cycle through the population and the dead continue to increase. That said, though, he says, I think I understand why they cling to this crumbling argument. They think that by arguing that the pandemic is all hype, they can morally justify resistance to the inevitable totalitarian response from governments. They think it has to be one or the other. Either the virus is hyped and resistance is acceptable, or the virus is real and resistance is unacceptable. And to this, Brandon Smith says, why can't it be both? The virus is dangerous to many, but a totalitarian response is still unacceptable. The virus is, in fact, more destructive than any flu in recent memory. It's not a plague on the level of the Black Death, but it continues to kill at a rate of 3 to 5 percent, as it, if it continues to kill at a rate of 3 to 5 percent, as it has been, then this puts a large number of human beings at risk. It's not something to be taken lightly. And those people that are actively trying to discourage others from preparing for it are truly narcissistic in their ideology. If you don't think it's a threat, then don't prepare, but don't scream at others for taking precautions just because you desperately want to be right. And don't come, to, come around demanding food and supplies from those same people when the ceiling comes crashing down on your head. He says, also understand that COVID-19 is only part of the problem. The bigger crisis is in the economy itself, a collapse that has been built into the system for years now, and the virus has little to do with it. 
Leftist kids are going around and calling this pandemic the boomer remover, almost cheering the assumption that mostly older and conservative Americans will die from this. He says, I have to break it to them that during the economic collapse that's inevitably coming, they will have to wipe the snot from their noses and put on their big boy diapers or otherwise they aren't going to survive either. Most of them have no discernible skills and no preparations to speak of. They're essentially useless. So if COVID-19 is a boomer remover, well, the coming economic crisis is a snowflake bake and they're about to get roasted. As harsh as that may sound, that's a pretty nice turn of phrase. we got to take a real quick commercial break. This is Loving Liberty. We will be back with more of Brandon Smith's article just the other side of these messages. Hey, once again, welcome back. This is Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde, and I'm sharing with you an article from Brandon Smith from alt-market.com about uh, from quarantine to tyranny to rebellion, where is the line in the sand? This may be one of the best articles that I have read in recent days, and, and I want you to trust me. I've had a lot of time on my hands to do a lot of reading, and this is one of the most informative ones yet. So let's dive back into the article. Remember, COVID-19 is only part of the problem. The bigger crisis is in the economy itself. And Brandon Smith says, as I've noted time and time again over the past few years, the everything bubble only needed one major trigger event to fully implode. But the international banks and central banks created that precarious bubble in the first place, and they set up all the conditions which made it so dangerous. So remember, the virus is not the cause of the crash. It's just very good cover for the banks who are the real perpetrators. Now, he says, ignore the virus if you want, but the economic collapse is undeniable. Accept that the national and global emergency is real, even if it has been financially engineered. And let's move on to more meaningful debate. For instance, should governments be allowed to implement martial law measures in response he says, in my view, there is no excuse for tyranny, even during a pandemic event. The majority of the public is more than capable of voluntary quarantine without government enforcement. Add government intervention into the mix and it will only make people want to do the opposite. And beyond that, COVID-19 has such a long incubation period that ultimately most people will probably contract it anyway. Total containment is not achievable, as we've seen in South Korea. Quarantines might slow the spread, which is good, but don't expect to avoid this virus indefinitely. Why sacrifice your freedoms for safety that is an illusion? And then there's the herd mentality argument, which is utter nonsense. It always has been. Either a person or group is immune or they are not. And people who are not immune do not put immune people at risk, period. The claim that the virus might mutate within non-vaccinated or non-immune people and put vaccinated people at risk is a propaganda argument that ignores science. Generally, when a virus does mutate, it mutates into a less deadly or infectious strain, not a more deadly strain. Viruses are programmed to survive, too. If they evolved to kill all potential hosts, then that would be counter to their survival imperative, which is why they usually evolve in the other direction. In terms of COVID-19, he says there is no herd immunity, by the establishment definition anyway, because it's a brand new virus. There is no vaccine, 
The vast majority of people have no antibodies. No one can make the argument that people need to be forcefully locked down in order to maintain a huge a herd immunity rather that doesn't exist. And finally, he says, if there is a there is a question rather of agenda and motive behind the rising call for martial law like measures over the pandemic. For example, Champaign, Illinois, Mayor Deborah Frank Finan has given herself executive powers in response to the coronavirus infection. These powers are outright dictatorial and Soviet in their violations. Among other things, she demands the power to enforce curfews, ban public gatherings, ban alcohol, ban or confiscate firearms, as well as confiscate supplies from any citizen if those supplies are needed for emergency response. Is this really about protecting the public? How does it protect the public to confiscate their only means of defense or confiscate their food and supplies? This type of thing is usually done in communist countries, and it's done to protect government power, not to protect the people. Brandon Smith says, understand also that the Champaign mayor is not the only official calling for these types of actions. From New York to L.A. and beyond, those of us who are paying attention have noticed a swift and quiet implementation of orders that are whittling down American freedoms. And by the way, he says, do not expect Donald Trump to operate differently either. Expect him to initiate martial law measures, although he may not call it martial law, in the next few months. Expect him to activate Executive Order 13603, which was created by Barack Obama in 2012, and allows the federal government to appropriate everything from land to food to firearms in the event of a national emergency. Brandon Smith says this is going to happen. Count on it. Now, he also says this, the pandemic is not an excuse for tyranny. And he says, I, for one, will not comply. And I know that I, many that I, I and many that I know will self-quarantine for a time with the expectation that we will eventually contract the virus and hopefully our immune systems are strong enough to fight it. In the meantime, he says, I will not be allowing any government officials to confiscate my supplies or my firearms for my own safety or for the greater good. He says, I will not be cooperating with census takers to asking questions about how much supplies I've stocked and whether or not I am ill. And he says, I will not sit idle while checkpoints are set up in my country to enforce travel restrictions or demand people test for symptoms. He says, I will not be signing up for government rations in exchange for my biometric data. I will not be visiting the local FEMA center for government aid. And he says, I will fight anyone that tries to assert martial law tactics in my area. Well, there's his line in the sand. Now I'm going to ask you, what is your line? Back to the article, he says, a message to government. I know you won't, but I suggest you leave people alone and let them self-isolate in peace. Your brand of help is not the kind of help we need. You and the financial elites that reside over you created this mess, and we do not trust you to clean it up. At bottom, this disaster should result in your removal from power. You should be held accountable and replaced. The system itself needs to be rebuilt from the ground up, and the principles of liberty need to return to the forefront of our society. Centralization and globalization have caused untold grief and terror to humanity. This collapse only reinforces the argument that we need to try something different. They'll say, well, the world wasn't centralized enough, and that a more global, meaning totalitarian, framework was the solution. But of course, who really benefits from that in the end? The common man or the elites? 
Brandon Smith says they can offer any rationalization they want in the name of public safety, but we know what the real play is here. If the line is crossed into martial law, he says, I plan to fight, not just for me, but for the next generation. Because if I do not, those children may grow up in a world never knowing what freedom truly is. There are fates worse than death, and a life of tyranny and slavery is one of them. Holy cow. He is so dead on. And I know that makes people nervous. It makes me nervous, but it doesn't make it any less true in my thinking. And even as I say this, National Guard has been activated, and um, I believe uh, Washington State, California, and Illinois, you know, they're, they're locking down these, these travel restrictions. I'm sure it's happening in other places as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think New York is, is considering the same. We're living through history being made right now. And for those who feel like, well, what can I do? You know, I'm just I'm just a passive leaf being carried about on the current. Nope. You're a thinking, living, breathing human being who has a vested interest in this. Because your freedoms are at stake and not just yours, but the freedoms of those who will follow you. And if you don't believe this, if you think, well, this just sounds like more conspiracy theory, tinfoil hatted, you know, nuttery. Let me remind you that the Department of Justice has been making secret requests to Congress that would allow the department to petition a judge to indefinitely detain people during an emergency. They want to do away with habeas corpus, and it's a push for new powers that comes as the coronavirus spreads throughout the U.S. This cannot be allowed to happen. Now, a Justice Department spokesperson was uh, asked about this. They declined to comment on the documents. But uh, if you're a civil liberties advocate... You need to be very aware of this. And by the way, if even if you are a staunch Trump supporter, you need to be aware of this because there is a there's a very realistic fear that the president, among others, governors included, will use a moment of crisis to push for controversial policy changes. Now, I don't know. I don't know what to, what the future holds, but I think I agree with with Ammon Bundy, who had a, a very good Facebook post here uh, just a couple of days ago. And he talked about how there are some things that are more precious than life itself. And I think liberty is one of those things. This is actually something that Lavoy Finicum was was fond of saying. Some things are more important than life itself, and freedom is one of them. Now, there are people who, well, what good is freedom if you're not around to enjoy it? And I would turn that back to them and say, what good is life if you're expected to live it as a slave or as a prisoner? I mean, that's a heck of a consolation prize if you want to look at it that way. But, well, at least I survived. And by the way, my, my chains really aren't that bad. In fact, I'm getting new chains next week, so I have a lot to be thankful for. Nope. Far better people than me have put it all on the line in an effort to preserve freedom, not just for themselves, but for those who would follow. I feel like I have a duty to do the same. And I think others recognize, I think the fact you're listening to this program right now is probably a good indication you feel the same way too. So where is our line in the sand? This is Loving Liberty. We'll be right back.
Hey, once again, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Hold your calls until the next hour. Uh, we've got a great guest joining us to talk about how telemedicine is actually going to be a, a great tool in helping us for the next coronavirus that comes along. I know you think what the one isn't enough. Just uh, you'll have to hear what she has to say, but it's it's a remarkable technology, something I've actually availed myself of here within the last few weeks. Uh, came down with a case of shingles back in the early part of February, and it was very nice to be able to uh, to to connect with a medical professional remotely and still get the help that I needed. Now, I have mentioned a number of different articles uh, thus far in this hour's uh, broadcast. I want you to know that links to these articles are posted with the show notes, which you can find at LovingLiberty.net. Please take the time to read them. Please take the time to uh, to at least acquaint yourself with with the authors. And and I think Brandon Smith is, is one of the better sources of information out there. Uh, doesn't mean you have to agree with him on everything. I don't agree with him on everything, but uh, I think he has a pretty solid take on what's happening. And I really strongly recommend um, keep doing your best to inform yourself. Don't feed on fear so much as just feed on, uh, you know, multiple sources trying to get a better, well-rounded view of what's happening. By the way, one of the good things that has come out of this abrupt shift that we have all experienced within the last couple of weeks is we all just got a really strong dose of perspective. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a great article here by Thomas Luongo. Now we get local. Now the world gets real. And he makes a very powerful case that... You know, this this shift in perspective was something that we needed. And, and essentially, look at the things that kept us divided artificially just a couple of weeks ago. The stuff we were obsessing over. Oh, the gender, you know, uh, equality and, and uh, you know, misusing pronouns and race and, you know. Anyway, you get the picture. All the identitarian stuff that creates false conflict. Haven't heard so much about that, have you? Nope, not when people are concerned about where's my next meal going to come from, or am I going to still have a job, or am I going to catch a deadly disease? All that stuff has been pushed to the side. And Thomas Luongo starts out his article here with a, with a quote from Philip K. Dick. Reality is that which, when we stop believing in it, doesn't go away. Wow, <laughs> that is profound. I've heard another variation of, of this I've heard is reality is everything that remains when we wish it were otherwise. But you get the point. All of us are facing some pretty harsh reality. Tom Luongo starts by recounting back in 2003 when he broke ground on the, the first real thing he ever built. And it's the house he currently lives in. And he was very unprepared for the challenge. He says when he started building the house, he could hardly drive a nail straight. But by the time it was finished, he could lay a square of asphalt shingles with the best of them, even if only till 10 o'clock in the morning or so. But he says, I could now solve logistical problems of a much larger scale. And what he learned was building a house wasn't one huge task, but a million little ones, some good and some, well, not so good. But they leveraged the skills, labor and knowledge of family and friends. They had help to get it done. And he said, you know, I'm forever in the debt of those who gave up their Saturdays to work in the singularly horrific heat of a north central Florida summer, a place I'm sure Dante had in mind when he wrote about the eighth circle of hell. So here's where he's going with this. We need each other more than we think. And he shares that story to illustrate that overcoming what would have been an almost insurmountable task if he had to do it all by himself became much easier when he pulled together with neighbors 
Eight or ten people, you know, milling about like semi-competent Amish men, setting trusses, digging trenches, installing windows. Now he says, uh, welcome to the Corona apocalypse. Regardless of what you may think about the origins of COVID-19, bioweapon or not, just the flu or the new plague, the reality is it's here. And the response to it is real and the damage it's had on the economy globally is real. But he says it doesn't matter at this point in time whether the response is the right one or the wrong one, because in an age where perception is more important than reality and has been that way for so long, we really have no real frame of reference to guide our conclusions. Prices and costs have been distorted beyond all recognition to the saved capital they represent. And the epic meltdown of markets speaks to just how insanely overvalued the world once was, was once the layers of credit issued contracted. So he says, in the end, we all have our, all we have is our observations, and those observations are intensely personal. Most of the time, the conclusions we draw from them are wrong, no matter how tightly we believe in them. Be that as it may, he says, we still have to make choices. We still have to act. And he says, and if this is truly now a survival-like situation, one that he personally tried to prepare for nearly a generation ago, that means we have to deal with reality. We have to put away the childish things we've been fighting over for the past five years politically. And he asks, how ridiculous and insipid do the identitarian fights over gender, race, sex, and color look now? How dangerous and stupid does all that capital, that time spent, look now in hindsight when today people with skills, humility, and high executive function are needed? Do you really care today if the guy behind the meat counter at your local supermarket is a Magapede or a Bernie bro? Or if he hates gay people or if he's a closet tranny? He says, if you do, then I suggest you stay home and reassess your priorities and your choices. Because the reality is that now that the damage to the economy has been done, we will need each other more than ever, regardless of what we thought about each other yesterday. The reality is... Governments are grabbing for insane levels of power. Martial law is, is here in Europe, he says. The U.S. isn't far behind if we look at how some governors and mayors have acted. And the reality is that the more power governments grab, the less capable of protecting you, your family, and your community it was before that. It will view you as a threat. It will treat you as less than human because your disobedience threatens their control. Now, he says, if the Trump administration is smart, it won't go there. If Trump wants to ensure the U.S. is the destination for global capital in the near term, he won't go where Europe goes. Because the way to restore confidence in both a currency, a people, and a government is not panic. Lead and show competence and trust. Those that overreact or enforce one-size-fits-all mandates become incapable of solving problems, only maintaining the current uh, misery. So we have to be strong enough and brave enough for commerce to flow. And he says, if we aren't, then stay out of the way of healthy, low-risk people taking real risks necessary to keep the lights on, the sewers functioning, and the food supply from collapsing. Celebrate that guy behind the meat counter or restocking the shelves because the life he saves may be yours and vice versa. Yes, some people will make the wrong choice, but most won't. Stop using them as straw men to grind your political axe. Old habits die hard, but guess what? You're not an old dog. We're moving into that dangerous area of zero tolerance, which implies maximum costs for marginal net benefits. Striking the necessary balance to keep our communities alive is how we best fight back against this threat, the government overreach, or the virus itself. 
It means realizing that bad people will do good things and good people will do bad things. It means that decisions made today may need to be reversed tomorrow. Top-down order separates us from our greatest strength, our ability to try new things, to solve new problems, and to turn what is into what will be. It means keeping your opinions tempered, your humility high, and finding ways to solve real problems that alleviate current and potential suffering. It means realizing you don't have all the answers, and pretending like you do is literally a matter of life and death. The economy isn't some big aggregate thing. That's the fundamental flaw of all dominant economic thinking, the concepts of aggregate demand and aggregate supply. They don't exist. They aren't real. We talk about them like they are, but they aren't. They are pale and unfocused reflections of trillions of small decisions taken by billions of people every day. And he says no matter how much you try to model reality by looking at the big numbers, the reality is you only see things through the densest of fog, near blind, and full of hubris. That's the central flaw in all forms of central planning, the lack of specific knowledge to come up with the right policy decisions. And that's not ideology. That's fact. He says any guess at my behavior, no matter how educated, carries with it a measurable error, which when multiplied by the number of decisions I make per day and the number of people whose actions you're trying to aggregate, makes the entire exercise a futile and dangerous attempt to play God. And even God doesn't play dice with the universe. So the sooner we give up our grand ideas of top-down control through the decisions of wise and insouciant, verified, smart people, the sooner we can deal with the reality of life in front of us. Today, the world is contracting, not ending. It's a smaller, tighter world than it was yesterday. That means the closer your relationship to someone, the more valuable they are. The people in charge now, if they're competent, if they have a shred of decency and humility, will realize by getting out of our way... They can, we can thrive, and if they won't, then we have to do other things that humans are really good at, subverting crude attempts at control. So he says, find ways to be more valuable to those nearest you that may need you tomorrow. Forge real relationships with people you never thought you could. But most importantly, he says, it's time to stop denying that which is in front of us because it's not going away. <laughs> 